0: Three-point range, back with you for another exciting episode. You have no idea where this will go or what has gone into making this one happen, but here we are. This is Mike Berardino, joined as always by the scout, Kimball Crosley, and the professor, Tim Crothers, and let's hear from the professor.
1: Well, bless you guys for allowing me once a year speak about one of my true passions. And I, I try to limit it to once a year, because I know that it may not be, uh, it may not, not uh, knock up our ratings in any great way, but, but um, it it just, I'm trying to, trying to overcome what I, what I fear is, is, is just a naivete about the Tour de France that that uh, I I made it my personal quest to change, and I, I know that that dings have sort of become one of our trademarks on this show, and and I fear that that when I start bringing up names from the from the the cyclists in the Tour de France that that they uh, would be considered ding worthy, which is just not right. I mean they they really shouldn't be ding worthy, if we uh, if we just would open our minds to the to the idea that that the Tour de France. Um, to a great portion of the world uh, is a pretty big event. Not so much maybe here in the U.S. And obviously, that's that has that has been uh, the popularity of the tour has 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 been has been uh, tarnished by all of the issues with drugs and certainly the whole Lance Armstrong mess and everything. All that I, I get it, and I uh, and I'm not an apologist for the Tour de France. It has been a mess. However, right now. Uh, we are looking at what I believe is is the single greatest rivalry in an individual sport that is likely now to to last for the next seven, eight, nine, ten years per, perhaps, and uh, it, we are. It's so rare in an, in an individual sports um, that we get an opportunity to see two titans. At the top of their game, in their prime, uh, I mean, the best, I guess off the top of my head, the best example of this in recent times, I know we might be talking a little bit about tennis later in the podcast, but the best example of this is sort of the Federer and Nadal. The Federer and Nadal uh, of of uh, of the Tour de France, of professional cycling right now, are two, two gentlemen by the name of, that I'm sure neither of you have ever heard of, Tadi pagacher and Jonas Vindigo. These two gentlemen uh, have won between the two of them the last three Tours de France. Uh, Tade the 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 two two and then Jonas Vindigo last year. Right now they are separated by 10 seconds. They have uh, they've been cycling for over 50 hours uh, and they are separated by a total of 10 seconds. They haven't been apart um, by more than a minute at any point during this tour, uh, yesterday they biked up most of Mont Blanc, which is the tallest mountain in Western Europe. And. They were attacking each other throughout the stage one, making a run, the other guy catching up, the other guy, making a run, the other guy catching up, they ended up finishing side by side, cross the line at the same time. This is an epic, an epic battle that one of them, uh, Jonas is 26, Tade is 24. There's, there's every reason to believe that this kind of thing is gonna be going on now for years to come. And for those of us who are cycling fans, it is just a delicious possibility. Tomorrow, uh, the, the tour might get decided by what is known in, is a, as a time trial. They will both bike 22 kilometers, 13 miles, um and it's just a fascinating thing you guys should really stream it tune in tomorrow morning it's a fascinating idea that that toddy's going to go and then three minutes later vindigo is going to go and most likely one of them is going to beat the other one by more than 10 seconds and that likely could decide the tour but imagine this put yourself in this in, in these guys positions you get on a bike you have you're going to ride 13 miles mostly uphill and you have to regulate for yourself how you have to do it as fast as you possibly can you want to be spent empty done with nothing left when you hit the finish line but you can't go out too fast or you bonk you can't go out too slow or you get to the end with a little bit of energy left and said i could have gone faster imagine trying to figure that out for 13 miles as you are basically trying to bike as fast as you possibly can uphill. Uh, and knowing that, that whether or not you do, do this, calibrate this correctly, is probably going to decide whether you win this three-week three uh, torture that you've been <laughs> putting yourself through. They've already biked through the Pyrenees, over the Pyrenees, over the Alps. They're still 10 seconds apart. And most likely tomorrow it's going to get decided, although those still a couple mountains, they got to go up and down. But the fun part, I think is that we are witnessing the beginning of what I think is going to be the greatest individual rivalry in any sport for, uh, for close to it, close to the next decade, because these guys can, can battle it out into their early 30s and still be at the top of their game. Um, so you know, there's my annual soapbox. Sh- Soapbox uh, appeal for the Tour de France. Have I talked either one of you into, uh, into joining me for the final week?
2: You know, um, those it is interesting what you say and and, and what you've set up as an interesting uh, race, and certainly uh, it's admirable, you know what they do. I don't know if I'm going to watch. <laughs> it's still just watching people bike, and, and you know that that doesn't seem to, to capture me. But maybe what what time do I have to? What time is the best time to tune into this, Tim? If I want to give it a shot. uh Oh, wow! Have we lost Tim? <laughs> we've we've had a lot of technical problems today, but hopefully Tim will come back. Um, huh. But I, you know, we'll see if he. Uh, can hear me, but it does make me uh interested in some of the things about this because he said it's gonna be a great raffle. We've had some amazing raffleies in sports, and just because they've gone uh first and second three times in a row, or they've they've each won, uh I think Tim
0: was hyping things just to I think we're gonna let him back in, but uh, i that you know what that felt like to me is uh Tim, there's Tim, welcome back uh we, we we're just saying. Kimball was saying that, uh, you know, three three years of two people kind of swapping uh, one and two, uh, even at the Tour de France, is not enough to even get on the radar for greatest rivalry ever. We need more, but I'll let Kimball continue. But what it felt like to me in the parts that I was awake for, which was here and there, uh, it felt like you were making a pitch to your editor to be sent to France to cover <laughs> the tour de France. That's the only way I would ever want to watch it is in person. Cause it sounds like a really cool thing to do from a media perspective. I've done it. A lot I co- of, a lot I of did, downtime. I covered, it. I covered downtime. it one year and that is what got, that is
1: what helped me to appreciate it. I obviously was aware of it for many years, but uh, it was only in covering it. The one year that I did cover it back in 1996 that I, I, I gained an appreciation and I won't repeat. I know we have listeners who have, who have loved my take on the tour de France for years now. And I won't repeat that whole thing again, but, but the truth is, yeah. I mean, it, there is uh, the, my, my epiphany with the tour was, was uh, driving up one of these mountains. You drive up the mountain before, before the race gets there and wait for them at the finish and driving up the mountain in an old French rental car, and thinking, I'm not sure I can get up this friggin' mountain in this car. And then, <laughs> and then watching these guys bike the thing, I don't think there's. I've never, I've never had more respect for just the physical exertion that one has to give um, to to accomplish something in sports. It's just, it's there's nothing quite like it.
2: So you you kind of were uh, disconnected when I asked this, but what time would be the optimal? viewing for this tomorrow if i were going to tomorrow a-
1: between 11 between 11 a.m and noon that's that's when it's all it's the beauty of the time trial is you don't have to you don't have to watch any of the other there's like 180 people in the race and only two matter and they're going to go back to back uh three minutes apart and it's only going to take them i don't know 13 13 k you know a half hour something like
2: that the problem is so, like yeah. a little less pleasant then i'll be at the dentist Um, but no, 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 no,
1: you can stream it. You can stream it and stream it later
2: because we know how technically, technically savvy I am. But anyway, Mm I, um, no, that you brought up a lot of intriguing ideas there. And one thing I want to ask about the time trial. So that's just typical, right? We have days that are time trials and days where they go head to head or everyone. Right. I mean,
1: a time trial is they, they typically have one, or two time trials during the, during the course of the race. And this is the only one. This This is the only one this year.
2: Well, who decides what's up with that?
1: The organizers decided they, they recast the course every year. It's not a, it's not the same course every year. Okay.
2: And so so is the theory behind the time trial because two guys just going together all the time. Hey, if we separate them by three minutes, they won't be able to do that. And we're going to get some, some separation between the two. Is that part of the idea or what is-
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, they, it's, it's clear that these guys now can, can climb over mountains and they are able to stick to each other's wheel no matter what. So we, we, we have a different discipline and often this is what, this is what separates, you know, this is why there are guys who are specifically climbers, but, but then you put them in a time trial and they stink. Um, there it, it's, it's like showing your versatility that you can do, you can do both. You can be, you can be a climber, but, and there's, you generally have to be a climber to have any chance to win the tour. But then if you stink at time trials, you're not going to be able to
2: win the tour to front. And, and you're you're going alone or you're just not going with the guy that you're close to?
1: By yourself, one at a time, one at a time. Right. right so and totally the, they, they do it in reverse order of the, of the, of the overall standing. So Pagacher's 10 seconds behind Vindigar in the, in the overall. So he'll go by himself. And then three minutes later, Vindigo will go, and if one of them, if if Pogacar can beat Vindigo by ten seconds, he'll take the lead in the tour and maybe maybe able to hold it the rest of the way.
2: But everyone's doing this, so it's possible you run into everyone's doing it.
1: it. Yeah, I mean they they it doesn't really matter how anyone else does because it's just down to those two at this point. But yes, the other 170 guys will go earlier, and you'll get a chance to see what they do, and then the lat these last two guys will go.
2: But you can catch up to somebody. Theoretically, in draft behind them, if, if
1: potentially you have to, these guys won't because there, there's not any. You know, it it does happen if somebody's really, really bad at time trialing, and you could possibly draft off of them, but not yeah. when it comes down to the class two.
2: And last thing, if if somehow I'm able to stream it or my dentist cancels or whatever, <laughs> what yeah. where's the there there when you watch? I mean, that's what one of my problems with biking is. Like, I it's like watching car racing. I'm like, I just. I don't see anything happening. Like, do you, do you feel like when you're watching, you see, Oh, he's pushing his effort. Do you see things or do you just basically following the race? There's, there's, there is some strategy to it. Um,
1: You know, I, yeah, I don't equate it in any way to, to car racing. Um, You know, the strategy is as you're, yes. Imagine, you know, as you're biking up this, this Alpine mountain that you, you know, there's really, it's really down to these last two. Like I said, and do you see something? Do you see a guy pumping? hard? Do you see something you see? Like in yesterday's stage, you saw Vindigo Vindigo looking, he was right, you know, Toddy was on his back wheel and you see Vindigo kind of looking over his shoulder. Toddy's a better, has a better uh, acceleration than Vindigo has. He's more of a plotter. And so he's looking over his shoulder the whole time for like two miles at uh, the last two miles up this mountain, thinking at some point, this guy's going to attack and he did. And then he got a little bit of distance between, between him, And then the other guy plotted back to his back wheel. And then he went and he tried to pass and gain a few seconds. Cause it's really come down to this, this idea that um, one of them is going to beat the other one by just a few seconds. And the other thing that's interesting is these guys have been in four time trials, they've done four time trials. In the same race and if you add up all the times between those time trials one of them beats the other one combined by two seconds wow so they are evenly matched as time trialers as well so you know anything can happen tomorrow but but uh it's likely to come down to a few seconds and if you know anything you watch like i said you're only watching for 30 minutes really that the part that matters and that whole thing is gonna be incredibly tense because you're thinking this guy knows <laughs> the guy who goes second, Vindigo, knows that that uh, the time has already will have been established as he gets toward the end. He knows what he needs to do. And they keep they keep like a quarter of the way they have a they have a split, a half they have a split, three quarters the they have a split. He knows the times that he'll always know the time that the other guys put in and whether he can, you know, whether and it, and he's gotta to try to regulate and see whether he can get to that time. And it's a, it's a very compelling 30 minutes
2: of bike racing. Do you have a prediction? Oh, my God. Oh, my, like, look, I can guess you my. You said last question already. Is the only thing I like we want to see about biking is the crashes, but I love when no, they No,
0: <laughs> I actually, I, and we've, we spent 23 minutes on this. We could actually complete Wait, an entire time oh. trial in oh. that time, it sounds like. Okay, and we spent fun. that talking about cycling, which is the ultimate podcast killer. <laughs> but I will say I did watch the multi-part documentary on Lance Armstrong back during COVID. And I'm pretty sure it's driven home the point repeatedly that everybody in that sport was cheating. Cause the only way to perform at that kind of level, Tim's just said it himself. you can't even get up the mountain in a Ford or whatever, uh, or an old, old Volkswagen, uh, these is this, are you telling me the sport's magically been cleansed? Is there still drug testing? Uh, because we know the cheaters are always ahead of the testers. So I don't want to watch mm-hmm. it. I think it's been proven. We've seen the They've shown us how the card trick happened. We've already seen the the the, the very best of all time, not just Lance making excuses, but over, they've all been caught. There was a period where the sport, in its pursuit of impossible achievement, wrecked itself, and I'm not interested.
1: I, I, that's a fair point. I'm not, you know, I don't think, I think a lot of people left it and, and will never come back. And I can't sit here and tell you that I know a hundred percent that these two guys are clean. I can tell you that, that because of all of that, um, there is still drug testing. And then I'm, I, who knows? I mean, obviously Lance beat the drug testing for years and these guys could be too, but uh, you know, what's all I can tell you is, is that they haven't been caught and they are, and they are uh they are a compelling watch mono a mano up these mountains and down and tomorrow in that time trial. It's sport, you know. You guys appreciate sport, you guys appreciate, you know, different different ways that that sport is compelling. And I'm telling you that this is these these two guys going against each other is compelling sport. The other stuff is, you know you do have to stick your head in the sand a little bit and say, I don't know for sure that it's also, clean.
0: Yeah. I also think Kimball should be shopping for a new dentist because these days, you know, a lot of them have a TV right up there while you're, while, you're, while they're doing whatever they have to do and, uh, and yelling at you about not flossing enough. You can get the whole thing done while watching TV. If you get, if you just call in advance, say I'm a big cycling fan, I'm going to need that. <laughs> so, all right, that's enough cycling thank you Tim on to Kimball for point number two all right
2: well now when we're not talking about cycling, you know on this podcast we talk tennis mm. so I want to ask you do you think uh yesterday morning we saw the biggest uh break of serve we've ever seen in the history of tennis would you would you agree with that I mean Mike not even. I, I, I know you, you're there Tim when I, you propose that I I ask myself
1: I if it was the biggest break surely i would i would remember it uh are you talking about the longest game the 28 minute game
2: were you not watching that
1: i watched it i watched it are you talking about the 28 minute game so, so it?
2: that's the break. so i mean that was amazing and, and you knew and i'm telling you my point is that that may have been the most historically significant break in the history of tennis or if you want to say like because sport because we have a dominant champion, right? Djokovic has established him, back Djokovic has established himself ahead of Federer and Nadal as the best in an amazing era of tennis. Okay? And then for him to um, be on the brink of really solidifying that and to be beaten the place where he's been so dominant, Wimbledon, right? Four in a row and again trying to tie Borg for five in a row. Okay? And then to to be beaten now. My fun part of the point, and I thought you would say this, Tim, is if you had said no, it wasn't even the most. It was it was the most historically historically significant break of service in the last 45 minutes because the the break that it came before it was even bigger because that was his first big break of the match, right? That put him up 2-0 in the third set, and right. that, that led the way. But I think, and for those that don't know, they they got they're in the third set and they had this just you know remarkable 32 point game uh that that where where um uh, Carlos Alcaraz broke Djokovic for the second time and really i thought that really you could say that was the moment where he broke him and maybe that was the moment where he he took over as the next guy in tennis and and maybe ended Djokovic's reign and and the drama of that, and just the, like, there's, again, we've talked about tennis, has there's no sport like it where you could have that moment, like, where you had to play 32 points, they each had, obviously, their chances, they each had ads, and you knew that there was so much in the balance on every one of those points, the pressure. I just thought it was great theater, um, and I just thought it, it 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 was one of the things that makes tennis so amazing. And I really do think it was, it was historically significant when you put it, what all these factors that I'm talking about, um, including. Thank
1: God it happened on a Sunday or you wouldn't, you might've missed it at the dentist.
2: Well, that's what, well, the funny part was I was sitting there with the father who still gets on me about the tennis. I don't see him very often, but I was at our lake house. Okay. Just got there a couple of days before. And we didn't have cable because you know, it's a lake house. And the cable wasn't working for whatever reason. We finally <laughs> got it working right then at, when that game was going on, and then we were all glued to the TV for the next three or four hours, watching the match unfold, um, and it and it was amazing. And you know, there was a, one other amazing thing about it was, uh, you know, talking about Djokovic's dominance previously when he i don't know if it counts as a break when you win a tiebreaker it's a mini break right but he t- won the tiebreaker that was the first tiebreaker Djokovic has lost in 15 straight tiebreakers, which is just absurd to me and another absurd fact that made this such a historic beautiful match besides it's the play again tim cycling when you watch you just see a couple guys pedaling you can look out your door for that but watching these guys play tennis at this ridiculous level the drop shots. Have you ever seen anybody hit drop shots like that? I know you're a drop shot master yourself, Tim. Mm-hmm. I can't believe Alcobrits could take a ball coming that hard at him and just somehow deaden it and do it perfectly and under pressure like he did in the final game when he when mm-hmm. he finally won. And at one point, they, I think it was in the final game, they pointed out that the points total points of the day were 165 to 165. And you talk about your great rivalry. Um, that is amazing when you can play 330 points and be tied at that point.
1: So, But that's, that's not a rivalry when Djokovic I, no, is no, 30. No, I'm just saying not a rivalry,
2: 20. but that's, that's, a, that's like your 10-second thing is amazing, Tim. And, and mm-hmm. that is, I think it's the same idea. So, Tim, I'm going to guess, we, we don't know if Mike's going to chime in on this, but so you were not that moved by this tennis match? I thought you'd be. I was now.
1: moved by it. I, thought, I, I have not watched a full tennis match. I don't. I don't remember the last time I watched a, a tennis match from first first serve to the end. I, I honestly don't remember, and I did. I I set that aside because I thought that it could be an epic match. I did watch the entire thing from beginning to end, um, and I honestly thought that the tiebreaker that you mentioned was really the the fulcrum of the match. I mean, the break was was big, but under, But we all know that if if Djokovic had a set point in the tiebreaker. If he'd won that if he'd won that point he's up two nothing i don't think there's any chance alcares is coming back and so i mean we all i think we were all watching that that was the moment that i'm thinking all right he's either going up two-ho and it's over or it's going to be one one and it's a new match and anybody can win and to me that was the that was the moment of the match um i i it was it was an epic match um when we talked about doing the podcast today obviously that was the first thing that came to my mind but uh, I I didn't want to do what I think is the the hot take, and that I think you you may have fallen into the trap of the hot take.
2: <laughs> the hot take <laughs>
1: of that is is that the torch has been passed, and I don't think that I that was bugging me when they were talking about that because nothing about what I saw yesterday makes me think that Djokovic is done. I don't think that I don't think that the torch has been passed, and I believe that i I, I'll I'll make my prediction right here. Djokovic wins the U.S. Open. The torch isn't, and the torch and they proves that the torch has not been passed because because I think we all know one thing about Novak is that dude is like Michael Jordan esque. There's nothing he likes more than thinking that people are down on him. That that you know he's always looking for an edge. So and what better edge can you get than a friggin' twenty year old punk kid from Spain? has just taken this the wimbledon title which is yours away and that dude is going to kill himself to to win the next grand slam
2: wait a second in other words are you saying this is going to give djokovic extra motivation yes i am all right that was my own personal point because sitting there on the couch my father again getting nasty about tennis he got on Sarah, my girlfriend, when she said, wow, this will really motivate Djokovic. He says, you don't understand Djokovic. He doesn't need more motivation. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you for settling mm-hmm. that heated argument. All right, Mike, okay. what do you
0: got? Car crash? I'm going to take it right into uh, the stats. So I looked at, in or, I just can we agree that in order to be the greatest service break of all time, the person being broken has to be virtually automatic or among... I mean, I, no one's going to argue that Djokovic, now with all the majors, is top three, if not the top one uh, most accomplished in his sport. But he didn't get there by being a cyborg on serve. He got there by having all-around game, the things you've already mentioned, the ground strokes, the the conditioning, all that. Where do you think, for an AP atptour.com, the official stat site, Novak Djokovic ranks all-time in uh, service games one percentage. Where is he all-time, the percentage? I'm
2: going to say 17th. Well, how you're telling me.
0: And how about you, Tim? He's uh, the don't, greatest player. He's pretty
1: player. irrelevant. It's pretty
0: irrelevant it's not irrelevant stat, at me. all. Not irrelevant at all. It's, it's, because
2: it's, it's actually context. Not this, this is
0: the context. Yes. When I think back through the years, I like to joke about Roscoe Tanner. But when I think about a guy who rode a big serve to all of his riches, it was Boris Becker, baby boomer, you know, right? Boom boom.
1: You know what a better stat is? You know how many aces? Uh, no,
0: I, I, I don't maybe, think so.
1: Novak had yesterday two. two, two, two.
0: Yeah,
1: he was not a dominant server. He, no, he, there That's were stretches no. in the match where he, where, I where, his, where his serve was fairly effective, but he was not. It was not. You know, this was not. Sampras, like where you're just watching a guy just pound it oh. past the guy without him even touching it the whole the whole day. I give you another. So. I
0: give you another uh, another way to come at it. I didn't get to watch the final yet. Uh, I guess everything's. Uh, I can fire it up on the on the uh, archive on YouTube TV. But I did watch oddly the first. I went back and made a point of watching the first couple of games uh, of the semi against the great Italian sinner. And Djokovic, you know, they, they I watched the whole run up to it and they, they spin or they do the coin flip to decide who will start on serve. And Sinner won the toss and he's not bad at serving either, up and coming player he let Djokovic have the first serve of the match. So I think there you Robert go. I rest did my same, case. Alvarez
1: rested the same thing yesterday. There you did go. The I rest thing. my
0: point. How can it be the most amazing feat ever to break serve of someone who the opponents in two straight, the final two matches of Wimbledon, said, go ahead, you you serve first. You nice. serve first.
2: Nice to do. So just to, for clarity – can you give us where Djokovic is, and, and Tim? Do you want to guess who number one is, or or number you know the top all time, toughest to break ever? Because I would have thought Roscoe Tanner or Boris Becker, but go ahead, Tim. What do you think?
1: Uh, I don't know, but I guess I'll say Pete Sampras just because I I do think he was a dominant server.
0: Well, uh, Djokovic is number fifteen as uh, oh, the gosh. most recent. Ed- 85.98%. So 14% of the time he's been broken. That's the most amazing thing you've seen. Um, and uh, Boris Becker was number 16 all time. Interesting that they're right there together. And that surprises me. Of course, he, he. that takes the totality of his career. So I'd like to see what it was when he was about 20 years old as well. But the number one all time is the Croatian. Ivo. Karlovic. Yes. Evo, Dr. Evo. Yes. And then was it Isner? You say Isner? John yeah. Isner, the big big American. He was but 92% is the top. That's Karlovich. and then Isner was second at 91.79. So, uh, that's pretty good gap from 92 to 86%, I would say. I I think um just in terms of the the aggregate, the t- totality of the career, we, history talk- will not remember Djokovic
2: as an overwhelming server. Well, but even when we talk about that, that's interesting because you know as a scout, for example, mm-hmm. say, like, one of the things that makes you a great slugger might also make you not a great fielder, you know, and it's amazing guys to do both. So I would say almost from that you know list, like, to be the all-time greatest server, you're probably like a big guy, you know, bigger than the best player because you're not so good at the other parts of the game, but it helps your
0: the Well, let me, let the me throw a few more names at you there because uh, Andy Roddick should be mentioned. He's fourth. Mm-hmm. All time at ninety percent. Federer, number five all time, and certainly in the conversation for best of uh, ever all around. Sampras also in the conversation, number six, in in uh, service games one. So, in uh, a pretty good gap, uh, and and a lot of nobodies from from okay. my from my perspective. A lot a lot of people just passing through, and then you get to jo- uh, Djokovic and Becker. And Nadal was eighteen, which is a little surprising because you don't think of him that way. I don't. I think it's all about the ground stroke, but and clay and and, and conditioning and creativity. But um, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch that, aren't I? But I'm not. I'm not too. I'm going to watch that while Kimball's at the dentist, asking if they could just put on <laughs> the Tour de France.
1: Split screen. Split
2: screen Tour de France and uh, and Wimbledon.
0: Yeah, it could be yeah. done. Could be done.
2: I. This is a strange aside, but I, my dentist does not have a TV in his office. But my dentist is one of the only people in the world that, when I see him, he's seen my work on TV. He's mentioned a couple of commercials. <laughs> Let's talk boss Oh, a, oh, you. It's you a made total, ads. He says, "Like, wait, I just saw another thing you were in." I was like, "Oh my wow. god!" Wow. Yeah, and it's, not many people see what I. Sounds like a stalker. That's coincidence Is that why you go to that dentist because he because
1: he puffs up your ego.
2: No, I've been seeing him for 30, 40 years actually. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah since the it, so all maybe the more reason the television was invented,
0: all the more reason to change it up, get away, get away from the doctor. I, I had a, a dentist who wanted to talk sports in Florida, but that's just another point for another time. But uh, <laughs> isn't it amazing that they always ask you the question? Uh, the dentist or the hygienist right when you're not in any position to answer. Right. You have no you have no shot. It's, ah. So much like this show. That that's the you start to I my try third to point. To you sometimes. Ah <laughs> yes, you guys we we could have done we actually we'll just say we could have done this entire podcast in that perspective with Kimball silenced, un, unwillingly muted. He was desperately <laughs> trying to get off. But we, we let him we freed him from from uh from mute purgatory and areas. He and uh, yeah, so that's two thirds of the show. Uh, we will have a third point. We thank you for finding us here on uh, S- Spotify, which I was going to say Anchor, but Spotify has taken that over completely. And, uh, you know, find us on Amazon Podcast or uh, uh, all the other podcast places that you, except Apple, we're still working on that. And uh, that seems like a, a problem. Uh, we thank you for finding us on Facebook, with that page and and uh, Substack, which is uh, all the rage. So we will rejoin you soon. Okay, we have one more point, believe it or not, and I'm going to try to make it a point. But uh, that basically, uh, I want to prepare everyone out there for something that uh, we should all seek to find uh, on our on our screens, and that uh, would be this Goliath. It's a three-part Showtime docu-series docu- on Wilt Chamberlain. And it starts, apparently, according to the review I, I made a screenshot of, it starts with a, a disclaimer. And I think the area of discussion here should probably be about this disclaimer and how it might be a have a chilling effect on all future documentaries. Will this perhaps break the documentary or am I reading too much into it? Let me share the disclaimer. Wilt Chamberlain's voice in this series is created using an AI program with the permission of the Wilt Chamberlain estate. Wilt's words have been composed of quotations of his written work and public statements. This will this statement, this disclaimer will open all three episodes, apparently. And then it goes on to mention in this preview of it that, uh, and I did, this was my point a couple years ago. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever did catch that ESPN attempt to use AI and make us think we were seeing and hearing Al Davis and Pete Rozelle have these imaginary deepfake conversations. Uh, I was troubled by it then. AI as an investment area is certainly something that is energizing AI as a tool to change the way we consume our media, our journalism, etc. Just look at, it's a huge talking point right now with the writers and actors strike. I don't know if that affects Kimball or if he's a strike breaker, but I hope not. Uh, But this concept that I, yes, I know so many documentaries, the Ken Burns thing through the years, all those great topics. There have certainly been actors voicing the words of someone, uh, of the subject of of the, of the documentary. But, um, I just think this opens the door here, especially when you have the estate signing off on it. Um, it just, it just smacks. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch all three. I do think they're going to get into the the twenty thousand claim based on this preview, but uh, it's going to be artificially voiced, uh, created. I don't, I don't know why for a guy who played in the uh, it's for such a long period, but certainly we had plenty of audio and video of, of interviews in major metropolitan markets like Philadelphia and New York and, and L.A. Uh, why we wouldn't be able to use more. Uh, archival footage and interview, but anyway, they're going to, all his words are going to be, uh, especially from the 1991 book, a view from above, which I have not read, are going to be uh, presented with this attempt to make you think you're really listening to Wilt Chamberlain. So how that will come off. I, I don't know. You know, he certainly did enough uh, with the uh, Roy Firestone, some f- excellent appearances with Roy Firestone uh, on sports look and up close. <laughs> Uh, friend of the program, Mike Shore, might be able to turn over some of that material so that we don't have to go to the robot mode of Wilt. But am I... uh, First of all, are you guys... I I watched Bill Walton, luckiest man on the face of the earth, the luckiest man alive. That was wonderful. But that was really Bill Walton speaking. He's alive. He's available for comment. But um, there's plenty of archival footage there, going back to even right there with UCLA um did you guys see that are you looking forward to this did you know this was coming I didn't until I had to come up with a topic today and uh but I the AI thing really jumps out at me and Kimball are you a scab or not
2: you know I, I don't even know how that works like I'm non-union oh, mm, mm. I, I don't know like I haven't had to face that yet that you know I don't I don't I honestly don't know that but um so I know you do find your topics at the last minute, and usually find them by just looking, you know, on your computer <laughs> and news and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't think you read far enough down in this article because no. the, the, I think the more interesting part is is uh, Will Chamberlain's estate has given um, uh, permission for them to use AI for Will to increase that twenty thousand number. <laughs> they, they've got the technology now that that Will can add. To what is probably a record, or maybe unofficial record, for um, his amount of um, conquests. Got to be up there. Yeah, but other than that, I really and I, I kind of, I'm a Wilt guy. I kind of liked Wilt, like a lot of people. You know, I was fascinated by when I saw some of the numbers that Wilt put up, and you know, because obviously I only saw him play at the very end of his career when he was mostly a rebounder. Um, uh, but maybe I mean, I guess I might. Get into it. I, I really only saw part of the Jordan thing, which I'm in, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the highlight. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, there's a shot of me with my finger. But anyway, uh, at the
0: championship- well, let me stop you there. Re- let me stop you there real quick, since uh, I only did a three-minute point. uh yes, the, the Jordan you're, you were showing at the Carolina Georgetown national championship game in the stands with your face painted. You're excited. I'm more fascinated because I've never seen. I mean, I've read about here and there. We've seen some, some uh, retrospectives maybe on the 57 triple overtime national championship game. How? Still, I cannot believe North Carolina, with that set of little guys from New York City, beat Wilt Chamberlain and Kansas in 1957. I, I hope that is explored Whoa in this documentary i'm much more interested in whether wilt threw that game somehow so So i did i went back and i looked and i I wondered if either of you ever heard a plausible explanation for how wilt chamberlain who in that game uh scored 23 points on six of 13 shooting he missed seven field goal attempts where he had at least what five six inches on anybody else on the court and he also went and he's never a good free throw shooter but he went 11 of 16 that night. He had only 14 rebounds. Kansas had 28 total rebounds in 55 minutes of play. And he had 14 of them. And uh, that seems a little light for
2: what a man could bring. Let me say this. I'm going to go, go to our professor UNC because this is perfect for him. If he doesn't know the answer, he's the perfect guy to go and research this and maybe see if he can dig up anybody that, has some info on that game and, and adds to that and like oh they packed it in they did this they did that, um, but you have inspired me to maybe watch that because of course the fascinating thing with Wilt was was he a loser you know was he like just put up points but then had no heart the opposite of Russell, you know um, and 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 we don't see enough footage we see old footage of him dunking and scooping or you know whatever things like that but we don't really see like him choking not taking over you know whatever he had to do to lose games I don't know it's 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 hard to fathom when a guy can got 50 points a game and as you said like dominate the way he did like what has to happen for him to disappear so you know you almost see, have to see more footage and I don't know if we've ever seen that kind of footage it's like here's Wilt just not even going down the floor and here's Wilt just letting a guy a little guy score over him because who knows why all right Tim what do you got Kind of out well 12, I,
1: I, I mean I, I don't know how relevant it really is to the, the topic but I have seen footage of that 1957 uh, game and and yes the, the the tactic was for for UNC basically to quadruple or quintuple cover uh, every time will got the ball or was was in position to get the ball including on the on the last play. Where the ball was the plan, of course, was to throw it into Wilt in the last play, uh, of uh, I guess triple overtime. I'm triple, I, I'm, I'm not, sure. huh? It was triple, yeah. But yeah. I, I just can't remember whether this play, the okay. footage I'm thinking of, was, was at the end of regulation or triple overtime or whatever. But but I, I just remember seeing the footage, and yes, there are four guys on, on each side of Wilt, and then there's another guy, uh, who is. Uh, basically ready to jump in to that melee if he needs to. And the final pass, uh, yeah, this was, right be- this was right before Carolina won, so it would be triple overtime. Uh, the final pass was uh, was designed to go into Wilton. It was underthrown, and somebody picked it off, and that was that. So it was, you know, at least I, I've- I honestly have not heard this conspiracy theory that you've brought up, and I have no idea where, where you got it from, um, I just made it up. but, yeah. but uh, yeah, I've not heard that, um, and I, I don't know. I just the the AI thing. Uh, I, I think just knowing that, it, I feel like that that does taint the, the the product a little bit. As far as I'm concerned, you know me; I'm a huge fan of the thirty for thirties. I think you can. I think you can make a fine thirty for thirty out of somebody who's passed away by using that archival footage. Um, And on it, I, you know, I will say I I have not seen a lot of great archival footage of Wilt speaking, but I suspect that there are, that it exists.
0: Roy Firestone.
1: Um, Not all with Roy Firestone, but, but even some with Roy Roy Firestone. Um, And, you know, I, I am curious about Wilt. I do think he's an interesting, an interesting figure based on a lot of what Kimball was talking about, that he has this, he does have this, uh, this reputation as, as being a loser, which I think is probably unfair. Um, but, uh, but it gets back to this, this idea of, of, you know, uh, they were, he was never able to be Russell's rival because, because Russell won, won all the time. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's uh, you know, unfortunately, I think his, his story has been somewhat co-opted buy this whole 20,000 thing, which I think is, is kind of ridiculous, but, um, he, he had, he has to at least accept some of the blame for that since he brought that on himself. Um, nobody made that up for him. He said that he said it on his own. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I don't have Showtime, Um, so chances are, I'm not going to watch it. You guys are just going to have to tell me about it. Do you have paramount plus? No, no. Do I have do it? have Peacock because you need it to stream for the Tour de France.
0: Oh, wow. I, I have mm-hmm. that. Um Wilt, we'll mm-hmm. apparently, in a, a little more research here, uh, we can find a 20-minute uh, compilation of, of Wilt highlights from the 57 tournament run. Dick Harp was the coach of Kansas, of course. We've talked about Dick Harp Bing. when he passed. Um, so if uh, the only... The only person who could hold Michael Jordan under 20 points was Dean Smith. Apparently the only person who could, uh, hold Wilt under 30, a game was Dick Harp somehow, but, um,
1: and five Carolina well,
0: defenders. Well, Tommy Kearns and Lenny Rosenbluth and, and others, uh, mm-hmm. Wilt average 30 points and 15 boards in the tournament. Um, in 57 he was a sophomore then and then he comes back the next year and Kansas doesn't even make the tournament so and then of course he goes and joins the Globetrotters and and makes three times uh with one year with the Globetrotters as the average salary in the NBA at the time which really was was uh was uh pipe fitters and bricklayers mostly but um and some great players individually uh I'm looking forward to it and I do think the 20,000, I don't want to belabor it anymore, but the 20,000 claim is, and this is another thing, You know, I don't know, it's a little. It's always a little disconcerting to me when somebody speaks for the departed and says, oh, they told me such and such, and this is now gospel. Well, that's another story. Um, there's apparently a woman described as a longtime friend of Wilt's who says essentially that he regretted saying the 20,000 thing and told her afterwards, after it came out, it came out right around the time. Magic Johnson was diagnosed with HIV. And so it really blew up as a, as an issue for Wilt. And just how could, how could he be insensitive and, and ridiculous? But uh, she says that according to this woman, Jessica Burstein, I believe. Uh, Wilt, <laughs> It's right here. It's right here. It just came to mind. I think I got it. Not Ellen. Not Ellen bursting. But uh, uh, Wilt regretted saying that, and it was just invented. So Kimball's hoping that the number will go higher. I think they're going to deflate the number with AI Wilt and with the with his longtime friend, and then hopefully we'll get to the bottom of it whether Wilt was taking. Because remember, in the fifties, CCNY Nat Holman. Uh, Frank McGuire later on not too long after that Carolina only reason Dean Smith gets to be the coach is Frank McGuire's guys were in trouble Uh, there's some shady stuff going on point shaving very easy for Wilt Chamberlain to point shave especially when he missed seven times from the field against a team of midgets quintuple
1: covered to remember
0: that's our show for this week (laughs) it's been quite a journey through the Pyrenees but we made it and uh, we thank you for staying with us and giving us a try to make you think about sports and hear questions not typically posed, such as one that will probably be edited out of the show. So for the scout, Kimball Crosley, for the professor, Tim Cruthers, this is Mike Berardino. Thank you for listening to Three Point Range.
1: Joker lost because he was too sweaty.